we are going to get rolling. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, I am going to pass out some stuff, and then we are going to dive into John chapter 1. Uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to get into it. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a chance to be able to gather together, to be able to study your word. And God, I pray that even as we have other things going on here at the church with our children that are upstairs doing Missions Journey Kids uh, and Joe Garner's class downstairs who are talking about spiritual disciplines, God, I pray that everything that we do tonight would be in service of knowing you better and being able to understand your glory more um, so that we might live more rightly. God, we pray that even tonight as we are talking about uh, the fourth gospel, uh, God, I pray that you would give us insight and understanding as we get into this text, because some of this is a lot to take in all at once. And so, God, we pray that you would send your spirit to help us with that. And as is my custom, I would ask you to pray for me specifically. Uh, just take a minute or two and just pray that what I say will be beneficial, it'll be accurate, and that uh, God would give me a portion of his spirit to be able to teach well tonight. So if you would, pray for me. Father, I thank you for these adults who are here with us, uh, for anybody who will be listening to this online after the fact or watching it after the fact. God, I pray that this would be beneficial for us as we hear from your word. God, I pray that your spirit would come and demonstrate to us uh, the glories of Christ and uh, the depth of knowledge and the depth of wisdom that our brother John um, was instilled with as he wrote this. God, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of who you are that forever changes who we are. And I pray that that would happen even tonight. So, God, we pray that you would uh, be honored and that we would be edified. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, I got three volunteers who are going to come pass some stuff around for us. And so I want to walk you through what this is. Last week, we were not able to meet um, because of our policy about inclement weather. Um, and so I'm going to give you all what all this stuff is. So it's a lot. But um, there is one page that is folded over in half. And this is an entire outline for the entire Gospel of John. Okay, And the reason that I want to give this to you is because whenever you were doing reading throughout the semester, there are going to be things that we are not going to cover in this class because we just can't. There's too much. So I've taken a lot of that from a guy named D.A. Carson and his book here uh, and his commentary on the Gospel of John, as well as supplementing it with some other stuff that I have. Um, and so that's where that's coming from. The second thing is this full page sheet that's got two charts on there. That top is actually the content of what we were going to be covering this semester. And so this is the road forward of where we are heading this semester. And if you look at that, you'll see that we are not covering every single line of every single chapter because we cannot. It is impossible to cover all of John in 15 stabs when we have 45 minutes each time. It's just not going to happen. So I have selected certain scenes that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to let you fill in the gaps from there. What's underneath this is last week when we were talking about the prologue, every major theme that we see in the Gospel of John, our author, John, will introduce in the first 18 verses. Yeah? And so, as we are working through um, the content through the semester, I'm going to try to draw out some of those, uh, those themes. And so I just want you to have that. And then lastly, this little half page that you have there, 
This is just for tonight. This is where we're going. All of these notes are going to be made available to you. They're going to be online. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see all the notes showing up on the screen that we have up there. If you're uh, listening to this on Spotify or Apple, then we will have a link to the website so you'll be able to get all of this. If you fail to find it online, come talk to me. I will get you taken care of. If you are here and you're wanting to learn about spiritual disciplines, congratulations, you're in the wrong room. That is downstairs, right? So now that I have given you the, the sales pitch of why you need to be in here, just hang out and then in a little bit slink out the back and no one will make fun of you. I promise I'm not going to say your name and uh, make fun of Joella because she's in the wrong room. Yeah, I promise. Sue, are you in the right room? Perfect. Are you in the right room? Are you where you need to be? Perfect. Perfect. Wait until the end of the night and we'll find out. This is what we are doing tonight. We are going to be covering the last two-thirds of John chapter 1. Appreciate it. Y'all can just leave all that up there. If you didn't get those things, I can get you taken care of here at the end. So we're going to be picking it up in John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, um, just so you know. And we're going to cover the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter 1, okay? Here's the deal. I want to recap where we were last week. Even though we didn't meet in here, I recorded a video in there in my office that has all this stuff. I promise you I did. It is online, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple. If you didn't get it, you didn't know, hey, guess what? Now you know. Go find it, right? But I'm going to give us a quick recap of what goes on in the prologue, which is the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. Here's the deal. The number one thing that we see in the prologue is that John... Uh, the apostle or author, John's prologue demonstrates the unique nature of the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then everything was created through the Word. And the Word is going to triumph, is going to have dominion over the darkness, right? He is absolutely unique. We find out later in verses 14 and 18 exactly who that Word is, but for right now, he demonstrates how unique the Word is. That word will overcome the darkness. Darkness cannot win in the face of the word. Cannot, can't, won't, doesn't. That's important because when we get to the end of the Gospel of John and Jesus is dead and in a tomb, we need to know there's going to be more of the story, right? If you've never heard this story before, know that much. The word will overcome the darkness. And then we talked about John the Baptist. Does anybody remember what I called John the Baptist? Anybody remember the phrase? Your boy, Johnny B. Let me be real clear. The reason why I call him is your, your boy, Johnny B, is because we're talking about the Gospel of John written by the Apostle John who talks about John. And then there's another character uh, that has another name named John in this Gospel. And so just to clarify, your boy, Johnny B, is not me being like silly or... Uh, any other disgraceful thing. It's actually to help us understand who we're talking about here. Here's the point. John the Baptist, your boy Johnny B, he serves as the example par excellence. He is the perfect example of how to provide testimony about Jesus Christ. If you look in chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8, you see very clearly that he is not the light, but what he is doing is he is testifying to the light. He is bearing witness. That word actually is where we get our word martyr. He bears witness about the light. We're going to see all of that come out a whole lot here in verses 35 through 51 tonight. Yeah? And then lastly, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the point of the prologue. That Word that is so unique, the Word that was God and was with God, He became flesh and dwelt among us, and that changes everything. Yeah? 
That's the prologue. Let us talk about where we are heading tonight. Two major sections. You can actually see this in your little outline that I have there. Um, we're going to talk about the text in two major sections. The first one is going to be verses 19 through 34, and we're going to see John's testimony about himself, and he's going to talk about who Jesus is. That's going to be broken down into three smaller sections. Who John is not, your boy Johnny B, who he is not, who your boy Johnny B is, and who does John say Jesus is. Three sections, yeah? Then we're going to look at verses 35 through 51, and we're going to look at the testimony that comes from Jesus' early followers. And we have that broken down again into three sections. There's going to be this testimony or the witness of a mentor, the witness of a brother, and the witness of a friend. And after we look at all of that, what we're going to do is we're going to have some final thoughts about what we talked about tonight. And then we're going to take one more big step back, and we're going to talk about the major themes that we see in John chapter 1. We didn't get a chance to talk about this last week because we weren't face-to-face. -face. So let's do it now. John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yes? The reason for that is because John assumes you are familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, we're going to see tonight that your boy Johnny B, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he talks about the baptism and the Spirit resting on him. But you know what John the Apostle does not include in his account? He never actually includes Jesus getting baptized. Why? Well, there's no reason for him to because Matthew and Mark actually talk about that. Yeah? So there's no reason to worry about that. That's the same reason that John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's, there's no reason to talk about the virgin birth. There's no reason to talk about those things because it's already been covered. Yeah? So... If that's true, and we have this big theme that's being laid out in John chapter 1, we should anticipate that it is going to be different. And I promise you, it is. Yeah? And so we're going to see some chronology that's going to be different. There's going to be some selected scenes that only John includes. Um, if you've got more questions about that, go watch the video. I promise you, it'll help you out there. Cool? Y'all are tracking. Here we go. This is the way we're going to handle it. We're going to take section by section. I'll read a little bit. We'll talk about it. We'll go to the next slide. We'll go to the next section, and we'll handle it from there. Ten minutes down. Here we go. John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. This is what our brother, John the Apostle, writes. And this is the testimony of your boy, Johnny B. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay. Then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And what did he say? Nah, no, I'm not. Uh, are you the prophet? What did he say? Nope. And then, what are we supposed to say, man? Like, you've got to give us an answer. So this is where we see in verses 19 through 21, John is clearly telling us who he is not. Three major denials as to who he is. And number one, he says, I'm not the Christ. Or if you're Hebrew, the Messiah. We'll see that term come up a little bit later in verses 36, 37, 38 in this chapter. So he is not the Christ. He says clearly, I am not the Christ. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because Jewish thought during John's day, uh, the apostle and John the Baptist during Jesus' day, was that the Christ, the Messiah, when he showed up, he was going to overthrow any political rule over Israel, and he's going to set up a new earthly kingdom. Okay, 
And since that's not what John's doing, he's like, nope, I'm not that guy. Don't get that in your head. That ain't me. Okay? Easy enough. So the second thing that he is saying is uh, he's asking him, hey, what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. What's the problem with that statement whenever John the Baptist says, I am not Elijah? Is there a problem with that statement? What does Jesus say about John the Baptist? <laughs> John the Baptist, his disciples, or Jesus' disciples were asking Jesus about, hey, man, it's it said that Elijah must come, and like, who is that guy? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, he already came. And they're like, who? He's like, John the Baptist. What? So John the Baptist here says he is not Elijah. Let me give us a little background. If you go read in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, you'll see that Elijah the man, the dude who was like the prophet from the Old Testament, doesn't die. There's like this chariot whirlwind, and off he goes, right? Leaves his coat. That's like it, right? Leaves his coat. And so there was this thought like, hey, he didn't die, so like surely he's just going to come back. And so not only does that kind of um, linger in people's minds. Then we run into verses like Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which we are actually going to be talking about in the next week or so. This is what Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord when it comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Go look at uh, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. You can look in Matthew chapter 17, 10 through 13, and this is exactly what he says. Oh yeah, Elijah actually came. It was John the Baptist. So this is what's going on. Whenever the Levites and the priests, the guys from the Pharisees, are asking John, your boy Johnny B, are you Elijah? He says no, because he knows what they have in their mind is he must be the actual dude who didn't die and left his coat. He must be that guy. And John the Baptist is not that guy. He absolutely is not literally the man Elijah. However, when you put together Malachi and then what Jesus says about Jesus in Matthew um, in two different occasions, what he does is he absolutely fulfills the role of Elijah, which is to prepare the way for the Lord. Yeah? And we're going to see that a little bit later in John uh, chapter... Uh, I'm sorry... Yeah, a little bit later, whenever we see um, there in verse 23 in our next section, he's going to be referencing Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path, take the things that are high, bring them low, take the things that are low, bring them up, make it flat. I'm doing that. So he is fulfilling the role of Elijah. He is not Elijah. Are you understanding how those are two different things? This is why it's really important for us to get this. John the Apostle over and over in the Gospel of John is intentionally going to bring about something that has dual meaning, and he is A, going to find more meaning in there than we normally find, and then B, he's going to bring out and say, this is why it's really important and you need to think about it. A lot of times it's because Jesus is the one who is finding this meaning. Um, if you watch the video that I did last week um, or the intro video that we did two weeks ago, Basically, the order of events for the Gospel of John is Jesus will perform some miracle called a sign, or he'll have a conversation, or he'll do something, which then leads to somebody getting upset. There's going to be some kind of controversy or some misunderstanding, and out of that misunderstanding, there's going to be a forced decision. You must decide what you think was going on over there. 
you start seeing John lay the seeds of that right now with your boy Johnny B. Yeah? So just tuck that away in your mind, brain, hold on to it. We're going to need it later. Yeah? So John the Baptist knew they were talking about the literal man, Elijah. I'm not that literal man, but I do what he said he was going to do. Prepare the way. Yeah? Cool? See? Gospel of John. Easy. Then the prophet, and the prophet that they are talking about here is generally what we find uh, reference to with uh, um, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. And basically what he says there is the Lord is going to raise up a prophet that is ultimately going to be from you, and he's going to speak from God everything that God tells him. And here, John the Baptist goes, yeah, that's not me, because who is that prophet? Jesus. So he can clearly say, nope, not the Christ, Jesus. Nope, not Elijah, because I'm not that guy. Nope, not the prophet, that's Jesus. So you can see in John chapter 1, verses 6 and uh, 7 and 8, your boy Johnny B is always talking about Jesus, is always pointing the way to Jesus. Yeah? What is he not? These things. Questions. Yes, ma'am. Deuteronomy chapter... Uh, 18 verses 15 through 18. I'm skipping a lot of this because we are going to run out of time if I don't. Okay? Rock on. So that's verses 19 through 21. So if that is not who John the Baptist is, if that's not who your boy Johnny B is, well then who is this guy? All right? Let's look at verses 22 through 28. This is what our brother John records for us. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here it comes. Verse 23. Straightforward answer. Going to tell you everything you ever wanted. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah 40 verse 3. Verse 24. Parenthetical thought. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. That's a really important note because this informs us as the reader why John the Apostle phrases this, or excuse me, picks this scene, and he is selecting Johnny B's phrasing because he's talking to someone who's kind of being combative, right? So he's speaking to the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And so John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. In fact, me and Ed Tamarius had a conversation about where exactly this Bethany was. This is where we know that they were near Bethany at the Jordan. Yeah? You remember that conversation, Ed? Am I making that up? He nodded his head. Y'all trust me on that. Cool? All right, so here's the point. Who is John then? I'm going to look at four main things that he says. Number one, he says, I am the voice that is crying out in the wilderness. If you go read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert highway. Every valley should be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, uneven ground made level, the rough place is plain. You get the point here is that we are to prepare for a king to show up. Yeah? And that this guy who shows up crying out in the wilderness is saying, hey, y'all get your house in order. Get it ready. He is coming. Yeah? That's kind of what Elijah does. He prepares. Yeah? So he says, I'm the one who is the voice crying out in the wilderness. And so he cries out in the wilderness. This is a rejection of him being this end time figure. 
but it is an affirmation that he is connected to this end time figure. He's preparing the way for the Lord. He's not the Lord, but he's preparing the way for the Lord. That's all the way back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Yeah? Number two, he is the one who prepares the way. Because he literally says that in uh, verse 23, crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And he's doing this so that he can prepare everyone's way. Um, we're going to get a little bit more detail about that when it comes to his baptism. But hold on to that for just a moment. Here's the third thing. He is the one who baptizes with water. And we know the rest of this text because we just read it. But this is in opposition to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Right? And so we'll talk about that here in just a moment, a little bit more detail. But this, again, is just pointing to the preparatory work of John. It is a baptism of repentance of sin. It is not a baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Those are two different things. John the Baptist cannot make that happen. But what he is doing is he is calling people to bring their life in line with repentance. And let's demonstrate that by everybody having this really clear outward sign. And we're going to go and live differently. And they are ready to hear that there is going to be someone who's going to give them God's spirit. And then they can be saved. You see how those are two different things? And so, all that being said, later in chapter 1, verse 33, we're going to see that Jesus is the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And you can actually trace that all the way back into Acts chapter 2. And then Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, 14. Um, that occurrence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit for us, that occurs at salvation. When you are saved, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. So, we're going to see that fulfilled later. But ultimately, what John is saying is, I'm not the guy that does the stuff that saves you. That's not my job. My job is to point to the one who does. Yep. So he's the one who... He'll, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. I would argue that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the sealing of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. That when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Yep. Were they more charismatic? Yeah. I, I would argue that they have the burden of proof to define what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and how that is separate from the sealing. And they would say, oh, it is different. Okay, well, then you have to provide the biblical data for that. Yeah. But that's a good comment about the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I would say they are the same. Yep. All right. Word? The fourth one is that John, your boy Johnny B, he is unworthy compared to Jesus. He is unworthy, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a bit. But here's the point I want to make. John the Baptist, your boy Johnny B, is in the business of gathering a crowd so that he can send that crowd to someone else. He is not and has never been in the business of building a crowd for his own sake. Every time that we see John the Baptist talking, doing anything in any of the Gospels, he is confronting sin, preparing the way, and then pointing to Jesus. Whether it's with his disciples, which we'll see a little bit later in verses 35 through 40, or if it's with him and Herod in the other Gospels, he's confronting sin so that there can be righteousness brought about so that salvation can occur. You seeing that? So he is always in the business of uh, building this audience to send them to someone else. That's why he is the example par excellence for us to understand what it means to testify about Jesus. Yeah? 
questions on this section of who John is. All right, we're about to pick up the pace. 29 through 34, who John is not, who John is, and now we're going to see what John says about Jesus. Pick it up in verse 29. The next day, that's critical because if you look in verse 35, the next day, and then you see in verse 43, the next day, and then you look in chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day. This is one of the very few times where the Apostle John is actually going to give us chronology and line it out one end to the other, right? The whole point is this is all meant to be read together. These are all meant to be one big scene that we see. On the next day, he saw Jesus. Your boy Johnny B saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After he comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I baptize these dudes so that he can come and be revealed to Israel as their real need for salvation. If I don't do the baptism of water, he doesn't come. That's the definition of preparation. Yep. Verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. If you have a footnote, it might have the chosen one of God. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Yeah? So who is Jesus? Number one, he's the Lamb of God. Boom. The Word, the one that was God and was with God and made everything and took on flesh and is going to overcome everything. He is the Lamb of God. And this is a reference all the way back um, to whenever we see in uh, the... We're actually going to be reading this in Exodus chapter 12 here before too long in our Bible reading plan with the Passover Lamb. This is... John the Baptist is identifying Jesus' role as the one who is going to take away sin, right? He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And he's actually standing on the shoulders of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, where he's picking up this idea that he is the one who uh, is going to lay, have all the iniquity of all of us laid on him, right? Are you tracking with that? Like, this is the Lamb of God. And so whenever we see that he is the Lamb of God, there's two main points I want to point out. One, I think we are believers in here for the majority of us. If, I, if you're not a believer, then this is what you need to know about Jesus, if nothing else. He's the Lamb of God. He died for your sins, and not for your sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, is what John will tell us in a later letter. When it says that, John died, or that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that is not some segment of the population that is either racially based, ethnically based, nationality based. It is for anyone, whosoever. John 3.16, you got to reckon with that. Whoever, whoever comes to him in faith, boom, that's who he died for. Write it down, yeah? And that's going to be a big point for us a little bit later on. So he is the Lamb of God. Make no mistake about that. Let's move on. He's the one who was before John. Okay, there's another problem with that statement, is it not? What's the problem with John, your boy Johnny B, saying that Jesus was before him? What's the problem with that statement? Your boy Johnny B was actually about six months older than Jesus. They're cousins. So now we have the Apostle John recording a lie from your boy Johnny B, right? 
Is that what's going on? No. When he says that he was before me, that word that he's using there is that he ranked before me. He was more important than me. What is he referencing? The divine nature of Jesus. He has always existed. He is eternal. And by the way, if we go back to verse 2, 3, and 4 of John chapter 1, you're going to see that every single thing was made through him. If you exist, it's because of him. And here's your boy Johnny B going, yeah, he was before me. And they're like, dude, aren't you older? <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Right? That's basically what's going on here. He is pointing to Jesus' divinity. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Next thing is, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We kind of talked about this already, that we see this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, with the coming of the Spirit is going to come on the apostles, it's going to rest on them, then their ministry starts exploding. But then, from then on, whenever we see people trusting in Christ, um, whenever we see the rest of the New Testament in general, we start seeing that those who trust in Christ and are saved, you are sealed. You are given the Holy Spirit right then. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, in my view. If we got questions about that, we can talk more about it. But he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Here's the next thing. He is the chosen one of God or the Son of God. There's textual evidence to say that that translation should be the chosen one as opposed to the Son of God. Either way, both of them drive at the same point. The one who is chosen of God means he's pretty special. And how many other sons of God do we know who are divine? None, right? So we're talking about the same dude. So whether we quibble about whether it's chosen one or the Son of God, he is unique. That is the whole point of the prologue, that the Word is so unique that we don't have a frame of reference for who he is. Yeah? And your boy Johnny B is going, and there he is. The one I've been telling you about this whole time. There he is. Go talk to him. He'll tell you everything you need to know. Yeah? And I do want to throw this last thing in here. In the next section, we're going to see all sorts of titles for Jesus. Rabbi, Messiah, him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the son of God, king of Israel, and the son of man. We're going to see nine other titles roll off of the tongues of these early witnesses to Jesus. And every one of them are pointing to this is who Jesus is. He is utterly unique. Yeah? I'm going to have to kick it into high gear for us to get through this. That's the first half. What questions do you have? Jenny, yes, ma'am. Uh, speculation. speculation. Reckless speculation. Uh, when did John the Baptist know that Jesus, his cousin, Yeah. Yeah, there's a good, good question. When did your boy Johnny B know Jesus was the guy? Because we see later on in the other gospel accounts that when John's in prison, he sends messengers to Jesus, and his question is basically, hey, man, are you really the guy? <laughs> because I'm kind of locked up here, and I'm probably going to die. I kind of want to make sure that it was worth it. Yeah? So what I would say is, at a minimum, from this text, we see that John is told, presumably by God, um, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you don't know, even him who comes after me, the one who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw the Spirit descend on him from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's what we're going to be talking about in more detail, like much later on. But he is told this, and so he has to have some kind of confidence that Jesus is the guy. I didn't mention it, but he calls Jesus the Lamb of God here. He's going to do it again. The next time we hear John speak in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 36, he's going to say, Hey, look, guys, there's the Lamb of God. Go talk to him. So before the 
Either before, during, sometime around there, yeah. I think he has some kind of confidence, but we do need to be honest to say that the other gospel accounts do record this scene where John is in prison and about to die, and Jesus sends him enough encouragement before he gets beheaded. Yeah? So, I don't know if that's a great answer, but, we, but I think that's enough to kind of help us there. Hopefully. Yeah, my son with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, and I think that there's also something really critical to see about that baptism scene is that, I didn't reference it, but what Jesus says in Matthew, because initially John the Baptist is hesitant to baptize Jesus and saying, dude, like, what do we need to do this for? Like, aren't you God? Like, don't, isn't this backwards? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? And Jesus' answer is, we've got to do it to fulfill all righteousness. And then John's like, got it, homie, and dunks him, right? And so there seems to be in that scene is where the most confidence comes from. Sue, we'll come back around. Sue, do you have something? Well, two things. Yes, ma'am. First of all, John left in Elizabeth's womb. Mm -hmm. Prenatally, yeah. Yeah, prenatally. Mm -hmm. So he knew from the beginning, but he was also human. He's human, yep, and good point. There's humanity shining through in John's story. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. So him leaping prenatally in Elizabeth's womb, like, yes, go read Luke chapter 1 and 2 and you'll see that. So, I mean, like, there's, there's a whole bunch of di uh, uh, details here, and I don't know if I'm confident to say this is when, though. I mean, he, he was apparently kind of a crazy dude. Yeah, he was a wild man. Camel hair and leather belts and crickets. And, um, like, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shortly before. Yep. 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 So we're all right there in that kind of that wheelhouse. Yeah. Yes, sir. God almost had to speak to John or he wouldn't have said, Here comes Jesus. Yeah. Like he had to have some kind of confidence. He had to have some kind of confidence. God has spoken to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Paul? Mm-hmm. I got about 45 more minutes of content right here. We're going to make it work. The good news is all of this is recorded. Go listen to it at halftime speed. I'll slow it down for everybody. Thank you, sir. All right. Let us talk about the real reason we're here tonight. And honestly, I think this is the more important section of the, of the chapter. If you divide this whole chapter into thirds, you get verses 1 through 18, the prologue. We get this testimony about John and what he says about himself and Jesus, and now we're going to hear from the lips of Jesus' early followers. Yeah? So, we're going to look at verses 35 through 40. I'm only going to read a couple of key points here. Verse 35, the next day, when John was standing, by, or standing with two of his disciples, he looked and he saw Jesus walk by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he points him out, Fellas, fellas, go talk to this guy. You need to meet him. Right? 
So this is the scene after the baptism, it seems like, in the previous section. And here we are. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Hey, Jesus, where are you staying? Jesus offers an answer. Hey, come and find out. Come and see. Those are key words. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for a day. For it was about the 10th hour. So here's what we need to see. Your boy, Johnny B., is always pointing to Jesus. Always. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He ain't the light, but he's testifying to the light. He's going to show you who he is. Who is he? The Lamb of God. The one who I can't untie his shoes. I am unworthy. He is before me, right? All that stuff that we just talked about, he is always pointing the way to Jesus. Here's the second thing you need to see in verses 35 through 37. Your boy John the Baptist is pointing his disciples to Jesus. He takes two of his guys who have been following him. We hear a little bit later on that uh, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was named Andrew. So like these are two disciples that belong to John. He's saying, actually, y'all need, need to go to Jesus. Go have a conversation with him. What do you need to talk about? <laughs> Just go talk to him. You'll figure it out, right? And so he points the way to Jesus. And there's Andrew and this unidentified disciple. Um, that unidentified disciple, some people think, is John here. Maybe, maybe not. Neither here nor there. Doesn't matter, right? But what is important is that cat named Andrew, he has a brother that we're going to meet here in a moment. Yeah? So these guys are told, come and see. Come and see. We're going to see in John chapter with these two words in John chapter 3, John chapter 5, John chapter 6 in two different locations, John chapter 7, John chapter 9, 16, and 17. Those key words are going to keep coming up over and over. You want to find out who Jesus is? Come and see for yourself. In fact, you look in chapter 1, verse 46. This is Nathaniel talking with Philip. He says, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what does Philip say? Hey, bro, come and find out. I don't have to convince you. Come find out for yourself, man. And that's going to be a key theme we're going to see over and over. Whenever I was at a, the BCM in Fort Smith, I had a student named Joseph King. And we were going to a retreat, and he was riding in the front seat with me. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about this weekend. And I'm like, why is that? He's like, dude, I just I hate meeting new people. I'm incredibly introverted. I don't do well with talking to people. And he just goes on for like five minutes. The guy who doesn't like talking to strangers it's talking with a stranger just nonstop, right? And I had two of my other leaders behind me in my truck, and I'm just kind of grinning, and they know what's up too. And I tell Joseph, I was like, well, I got good news for you, man. I got bad news for you. He's like, okay, what is that? Well, bad news is you shouldn't have told me that. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, you shouldn't have told me that. He goes, why? I was like, what do you think I'm going to do with you from now on? But the good news is I promise you you're going to meet some folks. And so for the next two or so years, every time we were out in public and we were at some ministry thing, I would take Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, have you met uh, Charlie over here? Hey, you all should talk a little bit, ask questions. And as they get going, I just leave that dude. I would bail on him in an instant and make him talk to folks. That dude, happily married, got a baby on the way next month. Love that guy. He needed to meet some people, and so I did it. I needed to put him in a position where he could meet these people. Who better than your boy Johnny B to say, that's the guy you need to meet? Why? <laughs> Go find out, dog. It ain't going to take long. So whenever we get to this point, 
you should see that your boy Johnny B is always about pointing people to Jesus. Simple question, can that be said of you? See, I didn't think we were going to get to this point tonight. You thought we were just going to be blitzing through content. I'm about to start putting my finger in your chest, okay? Can it be said of you? John chapter 1, verse 41. This cat named Andrew, he's got a brother named Simon. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, Dog, we found the Messiah. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then he brought his brother Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and goes, Hey, I know you. You're Simon, the son of John, but you're going to be called Cephas. And what's that cat's name now? Peter. That's Peter. And Peter is going to feature very heavily in the epilogue at the very end of the book. And right here, he's just shoehorned in seemingly. But here's the deal. Andrew is immediately telling his brother about Jesus. The way even the Greek, it's like it's rushing to that point. There's this cat named Simon. You've got to meet him. Come. Right? So Andrew, who is coming to this point of coming and seeing, he meets Jesus and says, i got a brother who's got to meet you too, goes and gets him. And then Andrew, the reason why he was so worked up about this is because he was convinced that he had found the Messiah. This dude knew his Bible. He knew he was supposed to be anticipating some guy who's going to be doing some things. He's going to be doing things that you couldn't comprehend, and he's going to save the whole world. And he hears his buddy, your boy Johnny B, had been talking about this guy for God knows how long, and then he finally gets the chance to meet him, and he's like, yes, this is the Messiah. i got a brother who needs to meet you. Yeah? And then what happens after that? Simon gets a new identity. That is what happens to people when they meet Jesus. You get changed. You can't help but have that happen. It ain't because you are just such a horrible person that, you know, all that stuff's just going to stop magically. It ain't going to stop magically. It's going to stop because Jesus wills it to happen. It's going to stop because Jesus changes you. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and it can't help but transform you. Yeah? So here's the question I have for you. I'm going to put my finger in your chest. When's the last time you shared the gospel with a family member? A family member. I have no idea what Andrew and Simon's, uh, Peter's relationship was like. Here's the point. It doesn't matter. Every Sunday morning, I get to have the opportunity to have, hey, how's Jim doing? Get to have a conversation with Gary about his brother. I know he's sharing. I know he's sharing. Whenever I get a chance to talk with my oldest brother, I try, and it's hard. Simple question. When's the last time you shared the gospel with a family member? Because your boy Andrew couldn't wait to go find his brother and tell him. Can the same be said of you? Yeah? Then we get to this last bit. Verses 45 through 51. <clears throat> or sorry, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And the dude just does it. Man, isn't that wild? He says two words like, well, yeah, I guess I should. Yeah. He follows Jesus. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, right? These cats that we just met. And Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, hey, dog, we found the guy that the wall and Moses talked about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's right here, the son of Joseph, man. 
Come check him out. And what does Nathaniel say? Bruh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can it really? And what's the answer? <laughs> come find out, dog. Come find out. Yeah, you ain't got to take my word for it. Just meet the dude. I promise you. Come find out. He comes to meet Jesus, and Jesus says, Ah, Nathaniel, my dude, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Not a dishonest bone in your body, man. How are you doing? And Nathaniel's like, What? How do you know that? And Jesus is like, Come on, man. Come on, man. What do you mean? How can I know this? It's me. I'm the one the law and Moses talked about. The prophets, it's me. And what does Nathaniel say? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And then Jesus said, hey man, you believed because I told you you're not dishonest? Cool. There's going to be greater things that are going to happen for you. You're going to see it. Come follow me. You'll come see. Yeah? Here's what I want you all to see. Philip begins to follow Jesus and immediately shares with his friend Nathaniel. Are you picking up on a pattern here? This is not me forcing the issue. It's happened three times now, okay? I didn't make this up. Somebody encounters Jesus, they trust him, they're convinced of who he is, and they immediately start telling other people they have relationships with about him. So he goes, and initially Nathaniel is skeptical. Let's defend Nathaniel here for a moment, okay? Let's defend Nathaniel. Whenever we see that he's saying, hey, can anything come out of Nazareth? He's actually standing on good logic, right? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this is what we see there. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you shall, from you shall come forth from me one who is the ruler of Israel, who is from old, the ancient of days. And then John chapter 7, verses 41 and 42, John the Apostle actually, actually says this in this conversation about who Jesus was. Others said that he is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on, fellas. And they quote, and they're referencing back to this, has not the scripture said that the Christ will be the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem where David was from? You just told me dudes from Nazareth. <laughs> He's supposed to be from Bethlehem. What's going on here is John the Apostle, he knows you know he's not from Nazareth. He doesn't need to mention that because he assumes you are already familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who tell you he's not born from Nazareth. Where are you from, Sarah? Where are you from? Macon? But where are you from, like from? Where do you hail from? Have you always lived in Macon for your whole life? Somebody who has not lived in the exact same town their whole life. Somebody raise your hand. That didn't help me. Sue, where are you from? But where do you hail from most recently? Where are you from? Those are two different answers, right? Yes, Jesus is from Nazareth, but where is he really from? Bethlehem. So even though Nathaniel is initially skeptical, he's standing on good ground. Where's Leewood from? I say South Arkansas, but that's not really true because I'm from Pine Bluff which I went to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And if there's a connection between me and someone from Fayetteville, where am I going to tell them I'm from? Fayetteville. I was in Fort Smith in Arkansas. I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Like, where are you from? Well, it depends on who's asking. Yeah? <laughs> right? 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, because he ain't from Nazareth. And John the Apostle knows that, and so do you. He's not insulting your intelligence. He's assuming you are wise enough to be familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah? So, what happens? Nathaniel is then confronted with Jesus' omniscience, and he believes him. Hey, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, and I know you're not a liar. What's up, my man? And Nathaniel's like, you are the king of Israel, son of God. This isn't some kind of flattery that Jesus is using, and it's not a flex either. It's a clear demonstration of how unique he is. He knows everything. He saw him beforehand, right? I don't know if this is a reference to something that like only one other person may have ever known in their life or no one else. I don't know. But the point is, Jesus knows. And Nathaniel knows it's pretty unique that Jesus knows that. Yeah? And then he's told, hey, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than this. What well, we find out later in uh, the Gospel of John, um, all the way at the very end of this thing, excuse me, um, in uh, John chapter 20, I think it is. I got it in my notes somewhere. I'll find it. Um, we find out that uh, your boy Nathaniel here is actually from Cana. What's the very next scene in John chapter 2? There's a wedding in Cana. And Nathaniel's told, hey, you're going to see greater things. And what happens in John chapter 2 is the first sign. He starts seeing greater, grander things immediately. Yeah? So, here's some final thoughts. We're wrapping it up. And we're still going to have a little bit of time for discussion. Excellent. Number one, I've already told you this, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. John the Baptist does not want to gather an audience for himself. He doesn't. The only reason he gathers an audience is so he can tell more people about Jesus. And then what we read earlier is that he starts to offload his own dudes onto Jesus. Go meet him, man. He can't help it. Almost like there's a theme here, Sue. You're helping me out. I love it. Oh, he can't help them. Okay, I'm sorry. You're, but you're right. Either way, yes. His baptism is only for repentance. It's not salvific. Jesus's is salvific. You've got to go to him. John the Baptist is always gathering an audience, but it's never for himself. I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. Jesus's sacrifice was for all mankind, not some segment of humanity. There is no place for racism or bigotry or judgment of others. You are standing on level ground at the foot of the cross because we all need Jesus equally. No one is better than anyone else, period. Full stop, without further discussion, period. We all need him. Following Jesus necessarily means you tell others about him. Let me put my finger in your chest for the last time tonight. Following Jesus necessarily means telling other people about him. If it's your boy Johnny B, it's him offloading some disciples onto Jesus. Hey, Andrew, other guy, go to Jesus. Andrew goes to Peter. You got to come meet this guy. Philip finds Nathaniel. You've got to meet this guy. Come and see. What I've, the phrase I've used numerous times, and in fact, it was actually one of the things I preached the first sermon that I did when I was here in view of a call. When it comes to the Great Commission, there is either adherence to or disobedience of. There is no third option. 
Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. You're either doing it or you're not. And here's the biggest thing when it comes to this. When it comes to the Great Commission, there's either adherence to or disobedience of, and it is impossible to make disciples if you are not being one yourself. You must follow Jesus. That's not some one time I punched that ticket however many decades ago and I'm good. You follow Jesus every day. If you're not doing those things that build those habits for you to be able to follow Jesus well and to share with others, I can almost guarantee you're probably not going to be very likely to share at all. So, let me give a plug. Come to the Vision Night on February 19th. For the next three weeks on Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about discipleship, evangelism, and missions. Incidentally, I'll just throw it all up here. Some major themes in 1 John, or John chapter 1, discipleship, evangelism, and what we'll see for the rest of the gospel is mission. Come on February 19th, understand why it's so pivotal for us to have a heart that is following after Jesus first before we start telling people about him. And I think that once we grasp hold of how big a deal this is, it will change us. Because when you look at all of John chapter 1, you're going to see this high Christology that he is utterly unique. The Word was God and he was with God. He's going to overcome the darkness. He's going to enter into our reality and he's going to save us from our sins no matter who you are. He can do that. And if you know that, you know some particular details about him, whether you learn it from your boy Johnny B, whether you learn it from a friend or a mentor or a brother or some pastor, doesn't matter. You know some things about him, and what does that do? It changes you into a disciple, and you go and tell others about him. I'm not making that up. It's right there in John chapter 1. Why do you think our brother John front-loaded all of that in his first chapter? What do you think he's going to do for the next 20? He's going to show you what that looks like having these conversations, what it means to demonstrate that Jesus is utterly unique. He's going to show us how to do that for the rest of the semester. Yeah? So, i got six minutes. Plenty of time. No aneurysm. Here we go. What questions you got? I will stand here for six minutes in silence. We got an hour. I'm taking every second of it, baby. Isn't that the reason why when people ask us, yes, I, I prefer sending people either A to Mark, because it's really short sections, really brief. It can be kind of difficult for folks who's never read the Bible, neither here nor there, because John has its own complications. So I either send people to Mark or John. The reason I send people to John is because there's a pattern that he will follow over and over again. Jesus is going to do something. He's going to perform a sign, or he's going to have a conversation with some dude like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or this woman at the well in John chapter 4, whatever. And he's going to have this conversation or perform this sign, and that's going to lead to some kind of controversy or a misunderstanding. And they're going to talk about it, and people are going to get upset. But the whole point of that is it forces that crowd and us, by extension as the audience, we have got to make a decision about what that was. Is he lying? Is this trickery, or is he for real? Because if he's for real, 
we got to do something about this. So if I send somebody who's a new believer, I send them to John a lot of times because John does lay out pretty clearly that pattern of says or does something, misunderstanding or controversy, and there's a decision that is forced. Incidentally, didn't you see some of that with Nathaniel? He's confronted with Jesus's miraculous omniscience, and we don't see this controversy because he responds positively. He immediately is like, oh, he's king of Israel, son of God, it's got to be. I've never met a man like this. He's got to be unique. So even in the very nascent form, John is already laying out that pattern in John chapter 1. Other comments or questions? Yes, sir. So the statement of I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and they say I'm not a disbeliever in that I'm assuming what you mean by that is like, hey, I've heard the story of Jesus and I think he was a real man. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So I would say just as a general practice when it comes to evangelism, never assume anything. What do you believe? Oh, well, I think whatever. And they might say some wild stuff. Cool. Let them say whatever wild stuff. At least you now know what it is. Right? Never assume. And then once they tell you what they mean, it might be really muddled and you might have to read between the lines, but just ask more questions. And what I would try to get to is, at the end of the day, there is a clear difference between being familiar with somebody. I know Barack Obama. Eh, I know of Barack Obama. I don't know that man. Right? There's a clear difference. A lot of people confuse knowing and knowing of. A lot of people know of Jesus. They don't know him. And the reason they don't know him is because they never came and they never saw. They've never interacted with him. They've never been introduced to him properly. They have not been baptized or sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Because that changes everything. R.O., do you have a comment? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, so the comment there is like Nicodemus, like there's an example to follow in Nicodemus in the way Jesus talks with him. Yes. Okay. Let me take one big step back. I have told you Jesus is going to perform a miracle. He's going to have a conversation with somebody and there's either going to be a misunderstanding or a controversy and there's going to be a decision forced. Guess what happens in John chapter two? A miracle. Guess what happens in John chapter 3? A conversation. Guess what happens in John chapter 4? An even longer conversation. Right? That's what is going to happen over and over again. He's just going to keep reloading. I'm going to go do a thing or say a thing, and there's going to be some conversation we're going to have to have around what I just said or did, and you're going to have to make a decision for yourself. We don't get the impression necessarily that uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 runs away being a believer in Jesus. When we see him later in John chapter 7, eh, maybe he's more... Uh, sympathetic to Jesus, but it's not until John chapter 19 that we see, I think this guy's for real. He's there helping bury Jesus, right? And that takes the whole book to get there, right? So, yes, there's, there's, there's an emblematic process that we see John selectively working through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yep. And so I think R.O.'s point there is that the conversation that we see Jesus have with Nicodemus is not too different than the conversation we have with somebody confronting us, showing us the way to Jesus as well, yeah? Amen to that. 59, sec or 59 minutes and 56 seconds. Boy, howdy, looky there. No, well, in fact, I'm going to put another... We reset the time. See, look at there. Now we're starting all over. Next hour. Here we go. Yeah? Got any other final questions? Yes, sir. I called you Charlie earlier. I'm so sorry. I looked at Charlie and I called you Charlie. I'm sorry. My bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, what would I say to someone who has allowed science to skew their understanding of the Bible? Yes? That's the question. Ultimately, I would have to say, again, what are you precisely driving at? Because there are going to be plenty of things that I'm like, I am unqualified to answer that question. However, ultimately what I would say is I don't fear a single question ever. There's not a single question I fear because if that question leads to truth, I happen to know the author of all truth. I haven't have a relationship with that one who knows what truth is and created it. So if there is truth to be found, then I want to pursue it because that is going to push me to a deeper understanding and a deeper comprehension at some level of my creator and the one who made truth. And so there's going to be some give and take as to like how I handle that conversation because I might be just out of my depth. However, I would say, man, ask your questions. I am certain that there are answers out there. I may not be able to articulate it at this moment, but one of my favorite things to do in evangelism with college students is, hey, I want you to make a list of all of the major objections you have to the Bible and Jesus and Christianity. Write them down. Each week, we're going to start knocking them off the list. And boy, howdy, that's hard. Because <laughs> sometimes they ask a question. I'm like, I don't know. We're going to push that one to next week. Let me go read some things. Right? But I don't fear any of those questions because if there is truth there, I know the one who created truth. Is that a sufficient answer for you there, Charlie? Okay. <laughs> Rich? In the, same, in the same vein, uh, the people that are touting science and can you prove that this happened, you're, you're not at a disadvantage. No, I'm not. Because <clears throat> they can't prove that it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think at some point there is going to be clearly this contention that, like, we stand on faith. To say that we don't is to deny what Jesus taught about himself and what, what he was calling us to anyway, right? However, it's not like I don't have good arguments. It's not like there haven't been good arguments that have been created over the last 2,000 years. There are those arguments. And frankly, a lot of times what people are looking for is um, you to just fold under any kind of weight of any kind of real speculation that they might throw at you. When in reality, when someone who is bringing up some kind of countercharge, the burden of proof is on them, not me. The burden of proof falls on somebody who's making a wild claim. Okay, dog, can you defend that? Well, no, but you can't disprove it. Yeah. Well, that's a dumb statement, man. Can I, from the Bible, 100% disprove that Jesus wasn't a velociraptor? Well, if the only detail and the only evidence that you would accept that would disprove that is that the Bible says explicitly, Jesus is not a velociraptor, then no, I can't do it. But that's because you misunderstand how arguments are made, right? So the argument, the burden of proof falls on someone else, and I have great arguments. I might not be able to articulate them immediately out of my head, but they exist. Yeah, most of the students 
He figured it out. He had, he had 10 different shots at trying to figure it out. Yeah? All right, Sue, last comment. I mean, there's all sorts of evidence for that. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Kind of wild. Yes, it is. Let me pray for us. We'll be done. Next week, we are covering all of chapter two. So once again, hey, get your running shoes on because we are going to be moving. Yeah. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would give us everything we need for life and for godliness. God, I pray that you would give us comprehension of the things that we talked about tonight and that if we need to listen on uh, multiple repeating uh, tracks later on, God, I pray that we would do what we need to to comprehend who you are and what it is that you have testified about yourself from John chapter 1. I pray that we would honor you with these questions and I pray that we would be challenged by your Holy Spirit even tonight to share the gospel with a friend, to share the gospel with a family member, and that we would be the ones who are constantly pointing to Jesus. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.